Okay, everybody has it? Then let's go. We're going to read and then I'll pray and then we'll um, start um, working with it, okay? Starting with verse, verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from men, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in His light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, you will... How will you believe my words? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have condescended to stoop down to our level. We are so blind... And it is incredible that these people would ask for confirmation of your testimony, of what you are saying, for the truthfulness. But you, in your kindness, have given them. You have given us witnesses of your deity, of your person, your life and work on our behalf. Thank you for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Oh, Father, thank you for giving Jesus 
all these works that shout that He is your Son. I thank You for sending Him and I thank You for Your presence here. Let His testimony be true in all of our hearts this morning. Let us love You more than we have in the past. As we behold Your glory, let us be transformed. That's what we pray in our Redeemer's name. Amen. Amen. So just a quick, uh, a quick review of what we have seen so far. This is just the final part of a very, very fiery sermon that Jesus preached in response to an accusation. Here's what's happening. The Lord Jesus heals a man on Sabbath. A man has been an invalid for 38 years and he walks up to him and says, Get up, take your bed and walk. The man at Jesus' command, he gets up and he's fully healed. Takes up his bed and he walks away. The Jewish national leadership, the Jewish leaders accuse him of breaking the law. This is blaspheme. This is blasphemy. You blaspheme in the name of God because you have broken the Sabbath. You are a lawbreaker. Jesus comes back with, I am God. I break no laws. If there's anything wrong, if you have any problems with what I am doing, the problem is with your law. You are a blasphemer, not me. I am the lawgiver. You do not condemn me. And here's what's happening. I am God. I am completely connected with Him. I am equal with Him. I do only what I see Him doing. I do only what I learn from Him. I say only what I see Him saying. Everything I do, the Father is doing. When you indict me, you indict the Father. When you fight me, you fight God. You accuse me, you accuse God. I'm not blaspheming. You are. These people are the leaders of the nation. They are the doctors of the law. It did not go well. So here again, in verse 30, Jesus just restates what He has said on verse 19. It's more or less, He states, in in verse 19, He states that He cannot do anything on His own. He judges as He sees the Father judging. And then He develops the subject. He tells in, in, in detail gives a detailed explanation in verses uh, 20 through to uh, 29 and then now he just restates it once again. He says, I can do nothing on my own. Just a restatement of what he has just been explaining. I can do nothing on my own. My own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just, just because I seek not my own will but the will of Him who sent me. If they're against Jesus' will, they are against Jesus. Jesus has just put them against the Father's will. And they have a decision to make. Right now the decision they're making is, you are not God, you are a blasphemer. And they're accusing God Himself as a blasphemer. Jesus is extremely kind because this is extreme ignorance. They reject Jesus. And Jesus still talks to them. And gives them four witnesses. Now, to say that you are God, I mean, that's one bold statement. Right? I, in fact, I tried it last time we were together. And I said, I am God. It wasn't long before I heard the, heard the first giggle. 
I tried it on my wife. She left uncontrollably. <laughs> now, nobody's going to believe just some guy who says, I am God. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know that I am God. I mean, first reaction will be, you know, just because you said it, I already don't believe it. I, you know, everybody, I mean, whoever says that, is it a crazy or a deceiver in Jesus' in Jesus uh, case? It's actually true. And even though he doesn't need a testimony of any man, he doesn't need to confirm anything for anybody, to anybody. Jesus calls four witnesses in tremendous kindness. I want you to see, even though he's being very stern with these men, tremendous kindness in calling four witnesses to his divine nature, to, to all of his claims, the claims that he made of being God, of being equal with God. Verse 31, we're going to read it and then we're going to go a little slow because there's a few things um, happening here. Take a look at verse uh, 31. Jesus understands that it's hard to believe if someone just comes along and says they're God. So Jesus wants to help them out. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Okay? So now, um, the first thing that is happening is that they don't believe Jesus. There's a, a, an active opposition no one will believe someone who claims to be God, right? Jesus doesn't need to confirm anything for himself. He, does, he knows who he is. He doesn't need any, anybody else's testimony. But he's doing this for their sake. We're going to see it pretty soon in the next verses. Jesus is not saying by deemed true. He's not saying if no one confirms it, I'm not telling the truth. I'm not lying to you. I'm not confused on who I am. What he is saying is that they have a worldview. They have a certain opinion. They have a certain estimation. In their estimation, if Jesus does not produce a witness, actually not, not one, but two or three, the testimony is not acceptable. This is a legal thing. The testimony is not acceptable. Because according to the Jewish law, to the Jewish legal system, you cannot just testify about yourself. You need the corroboration of two or three other uh, witnesses. This is what the law says in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19 verse 15. A, and I quote, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So from there, they get the idea that, okay, if, you, if we want accused people, we need more than one person, more than one witness. If you want to make an accusation, don't come alone. Make sure you have other people who saw the crime being committed and you three, you two or you three or more will come and make the accusation. From that they make the deduction correct, that's how the legal system works, that if someone wants to defend themselves, it also applies. You know, you don't just come and say, I didn't kill his donkey. Okay, you need a, you need a witness here, you need someone who can testify to your character. What really matters is how you have lived in the community. How consider, what you consider to be. Are you considered to be a liar? Is your word a tr trustworthy? 
your character is in play. And pretty much everybody's being judged. Everybody's being judged because the character of the witness is very, very important. Men are very blind. Men are very blind. Truth himself, I didn't say truth itself. Truth himself is standing in front of them and they cannot see it. They are so preoccupied, they are so worried about the little details of the law and what days they can heal or not heal that they miss the Son of God. They miss truth incarnate standing in front of them. They are so blind that they wouldn't see the glory of God if glory of God hit them in the face. That's exactly what's happening. And Jesus in His kindness calls four witnesses. Witness 1, enter John the Baptist. Let's read verse uh, 33. Verse 33, You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. John has borne witness to the truth. Now, John was an interesting character. He was Jesus' cousin, and he was a pretty interesting character. John, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we are told that John, he was, um, he lived in the desert, he preached in the wilderness, you know, where there was nobody around, and um, his diet was a, a nightmare. He ate only uh, honey and bugs. All he ate was grasshoppers and honey. Uh, I assume he had long hair because he was probably a Nazarite. He made a vow to serve the Lord and, and they didn't cut their hair. There's a lot of sand, a lot of sweat in the desert. It's pretty hot. His hair was probably like long, dirty dreadlocks. And he was probably always in a sugar high of all, from all of the, the honey. <laughs> and he ate only locusts. I mean, do you wonder... Do you wonder why he was always so grumpy? I mean, and he was a dynamic preacher. People loved him in the beginning. People came from all over Israel, all over the Middle East. They came to see him speaking. And it wasn't in a, in a convenient location. It was in the middle of the desert. And people came to see him from everywhere. You know, in fact, even... The Jewish leadership had sent their priests and Levites to go see him. And as we're going to see in, in verse 35, we'll see that they rejoice in him for a little bit. They rejoice in what John was preaching. But John the Baptist, JB, he looked them in the eyes. And these people, they're feared. People have a lot of reverence for them. But John looked them in the eyes and called them, You brood of vipers. Who has told you to flee from the wrath to come? Not exactly secret sensitive. Not really concerned about reputation. He was very popular. He had a... Today it would be a mega church. A lot of people went to see him. His podcast was number one on iTunes. He had thousands of followers on Twitter. His Facebook friends, it just went through the roof. He reached a maximum 5,000. Created four different profiles. He was popular. He spoke at their conferences. He gave interviews. He was all over the Christian news. And he did not care. He looked him in the eye. And he called him as he saw it. In fact, he got in a fight with the king. 
Herod himself in Matthew 6, we see that he went to the wilderness to see John. And John had a few words for Herod as well. And he called him on his sin and called him to repentance. Now what happens when you call people to repentance? When you shed the light of Christ. If the light doesn't shine, people will hate you. The Bible says in John 3 that light has come into the world. But men didn't like it. Men preferred darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. John preached it. John preached the light of Christ. They sent the Levites and priests to say, Who are you? And John actually... John actually uh, proceeded to tell them, you know, I am not the Christ. I am not the light. And he proceeded to say, who was the Christ? He baptized Jesus. But then he was really stepping on a lot of toes. And for a while, the leadership rejoiced in what John preached. And then they walked away. They walked away. Which is sad, but it's so true. Nowadays you can still see it. That no one can just say no to the Lord. Can be indifferent to the message. Without eventually turning into an active, positive hostility towards God. People may say, no, I don't have anything against God. I'm not an enemy of God. You start unpacking who that God is according to the Bible. And it's on what that God thinks of certain things. You start giving God's opinions as expressed in the Bible. You will see the active opposition to the Son of God. So Jesus calls His first witness, verse 34. Right? Not because he needs anything, but because they need it. Jesus, in his kindness, is reaching for their hearts by giving John's personal testimony. Now, personal testimony, personal witness is important. Intellectually, and, and, and theoretically, improving things, improving the deity of Christ, it's lame. This is one thing I want to tell you about your personal testimony. Improving things, proving that Christ is God, your testimony is lousy. It proves squat. It doesn't prove anything. How do you know that God is real? Well, because I spoke with Him this morning. I spoke with Jesus, I'm telling you. I experienced Him. His love has been shed abroad in my heart. However you, you communicate it, what you are communicating is your experience. And we all know that there's at least a couple of problems with it. The first one is that even if no human being had ever experienced the grace and love of Jesus Christ in their hearts, He would still be the Son of God, wouldn't He? My testimony doesn't make Him the truth. In sharing my personal testimony, all I'm saying is, this is my personal subjective experience. 
And we do not want to make experience the judge of truth. You don't want to judge what is true based on your experience because experiences are notoriously unreliable. I have gone through a lot of things that looking back in hindsight, I just look and see, oh, that was not at all what I was thinking. All kinds of people have all kinds of experiences every day. All kinds of vision, including visions and experiences that deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. Visions and experiences that back up the works of darkness that are masquerading as the works of God. I've had a few. So-called divine intervention that wasn't divine at all. So personal testimony in the realm of proving things, of proving the deity of Christ, or proving that He is the Son of God, very, very lousy. It doesn't prove anything. Now, the good news is, good news is that it is very important, and I encourage you to use your personal testimony. Use your personal witness. Tell people how you came to Christ objectively, what Christ has done on the cross and who He is, and how He applied it to your life. You know why? Because practically, it's awesome. It seems to be the best thing there is to reach people's hearts. It reaches people where they are, living life, doing life. You share with them the transformation, how God shed His light in your life. And that somehow breaks people. I know that an untold number of people have come to Christ because they have heard what God has done in someone else's life. And because of how we are made, because of how we are built, we have this longing for community, for fellowship with God, for relationship, for health, for restoration of our spiritual being, of our full being. We just long to have what that person is displaying. What God has done in their life. You wonder, can He do that in mine? So theoretically, weak. Practically, great. Practice your testimony. Have it ready. Tell people the good news. What God has done in your life. It doesn't have much to do with the new car. How much money... But the forgiveness of sin that is found in Jesus Christ and how now you know for a fact that you are pretty much invincible. Because no matter what happens in this life, your reward is saved. Your treasure is saved where no moth nor thieves can come. And no matter how much pain there is in this life, you will succeed. You will make it true. You make it through. Not because anything you have, but because you came empty-handed. And He has held you. He has His grip on you and you ain't going anywhere. He will not lose any of those whom the Father has given to Him. Verse 35. Jesus now makes a tremendous statement on, on the testimony of John the Baptist. This is what Jesus says, He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in His light. So now, there's a, a compliment to what John was. 
uh, what John is, what his testimony is, and then an indictment to uh, the Pharisees, to, to the Jewish uh, national leadership. What he is saying is that he used a different word, a burning little lamp. This, this is a word for a little lamp. Gives out a little bit of light. Uh, it's not the word for light itself. Jesus is said to be the light of the world. Jesus is the light. John the Baptist is a little lamp. He gives out the light. You know, that's encouraging. Because I don't feel like the light. I know that I'm, at my best, I'm a little lamp. But that's encouraging because even you, little lamp, you can give up the true light. The true light of Christ. You can bring Christ wherever you go. You can bring Christ wherever you go and shed His light. And give out His light to a world of darkness. That's what John did. By preaching the Word, by being who he was. He... As a little lamp gave out the light of Christ. I think this is very applicable to us. To our living. To our life in 2010 Southern California. It's just a little lamp. And Jesus, I think this is a tremendous compliment. Tremendous statement uh, to the truth of John the Baptist's testimony. To his witness. Now, he doesn't go easy on, uh, on, on these people that he's confronting. Jesus says, you know, you, you wanted to rejoice, you took it all in. But when the message started to step on your toes, you walked away. You crafted a message that you liked. You went in there to see this dynamic young preacher that was rocking everybody's world. And the message was always for your neighbor. The message was always for somebody else. But when you realize that week after week, He was not going to go easy on you. He was not about to just tickle your ears. You walked away, didn't you? You thought well of Him. Because you sent the Levites and the priests to go inquire, to go see who He was. All the way in, in, in the wilderness. The Bible says that all men... Acknowledged that John the Baptist was a prophet. The people acknowledged that he was a prophet when they came to trick Jesus. Do you remember? They came and said, you know, they started asking Jesus questions. And Jesus goes, Was the, the baptism from John the Baptist? What do you say? Was it from God or from man? Oh. And then they go, they started this little uh, conference among themselves. They start talking, you know, what should we say now? I think he, he just got us. Because if we say it was from men, They'll say, okay, it was Jesus. No, the people will say, no, no, no. It wasn't from men because all men acknowledge that John the Baptist was a prophet. So they couldn't say it was from men. But now someone says, you know, but what if we say it was from God? Jesus will say, why did you reject him then? So then Jesus, you know, checkmate. You know, so all men acknowledge that John the Baptist was a prophet. Including the Jewish national leadership. All men acknowledged that he was a prophet. So they went in there because they acknowledged that, that John the Baptist was a prophet. A prophet from God. This is great. It's been 400 years, many generations. We haven't heard the voice of God at all. He has not sent any prophet to our nation. We finally got one. 
But the message was, nah, we have, you know, we have a theology. You know, you're really not fitting into what our system has here. You know, um, soon enough, the rejection, the, the just disagreeing with, with what John was saying and abandoning him, turned, in, turned into hostility to the point where, at this point, when Jesus is saying these words, John the Baptist is in jail, and soon he will lose his head. They just gave him to, to, to the pagans, to the Gentiles. The Jews didn't kill him, but they gave him into the hands of the Gentiles. And they didn't even care that the Gentiles were, were going to kill his, their prophet. Just a few weeks ago, he was all this. He was our prophet. And now, he may die. We don't care. Because the message <laughs> stepped on toes. 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Now he's going to kick it up a notch. For the works, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now I, I know a man that believed this testimony, the testimony of his works. Remember chapter 3? Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night say, Hey, Rabbi, we know, we know that you are a man come from God. Because no one can see the signs you've made, the signs you perform, if God is not with him. Nicodemus believed the testimony of his works. I mean, come on, I, don't think, I think this verse needs barely needs any exposition. You see Jesus turning water into wine in front of everybody. Gallons and gallons and gallons. gallons. Everybody saw it was water. And you say he, he's not God? He heals the official son, just on chapter 4, from miles and miles away, 15, 20 miles away. He had never even seen the official son who was dying. And he just says a word, and the guy's healed. And you say, he, Jesus has never, I mean, think of it, had never even set his physical eyes on, on the boy. He orders him to be healed. Fever breaks, comes back, and he is good. Jesus heals him. In this chapter, Jesus walks up to a man who's been lame for 38 years. He says, get up. Go, pick up your bed. Go, go. You're healed. And you tell me he's not God? Next chapter, he'll go on to grab a little boy's lunchbox and he will feed 15 to 20,000 people with a lunchbox. A few fishes, and that's it. Little bread, boom. Feeds. 15 to 20,000 people. And you tell me he is not God. He touches deaf ears and blind eyes, and there's vision, there's sight, and, and there's hearing restored completely. He will calm a storm and raise people from the dead. And people still say he is not God. His works are everywhere, and they shout that Jesus is the Savior of the world. His testimony is everywhere. Look around. To this day, 
the works that the Father has given Jesus, they shout that Jesus is God. The man came back from the dead. The tomb is empty. I love when people say, no, somebody stole, his disciples stole the body. I mean, a bunch of people that denied Him and abandoned Him. They were cowards. They were afraid of dying. Now they're facing the Roman army and they're going there and stealing the body. And then 11 of the 12 disciples die because of a stolen body that they knew never rose from the dead. I mean, any and everybody can die for a lie if they don't know it's a lie. But die for a lie that they know it's a lie. That's not very bright. Who does that? And it wasn't only the, the, the 11 disciples. It was thousands of people that died because they saw this man and they talked and they ate with him for 40 days after he rose from the dead. The man came back from the dead. His works bear witness bear witness about Jesus it just they just do they just do cannot cannot deny what Jesus has done let's move to 37 and verse 38 and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me his voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His word abiding in you. Ouch! For you do not believe the one whom He has sent. Now, do you understand what Jesus just told these people? These guys, they're not only devoted students of the word. They are teachers of it. Now, in front of these guys, you can just start preaching in front of these guys and, and just misquote a verse. You know, as Moses says in, in Exodus chapter 23, they would go, uh, you know, I have the five books of Moses memorized. That's not actually what he says. It wasn't one, one or two guys. It was a bunch of them. A whole lot of them just had the law memorized, just committed to memory. They could quote it backwards if they wanted to. Jesus just told them, you do not have the word abiding in you. Ouch. It's on right now. The conflict that had started in verse 17 just took a whole new level now. I can just imagine these people just tearing up their clothes, pulling up their hair. Okay? This is a, a major statement. A major statement. Jesus has said, You do not know the one that you do not believe, the one who has sent me. How does Jesus know it? How does Jesus know this? Because this is a, a serious accusation. So how do you think how do you think Jesus knows that they don't know God? You do not have his word abiding in you. Why? Because or for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. How do you know that someone knows God? You know that someone knows God if they believe in Jesus Christ. Not politically correct. 
I'm just a messenger. It's not politically correct, but it is the truth. According to Jesus, the evidence that you know God is the belief that you have in Jesus, that He is the Son of God. And by that he can tell that the Pharisees, these guys, they don't know God. Now, uh, in our day, there's all kinds of people that know the Scriptures backwards and forward, and they don't know God. They come up with all kinds of different doctrines, and more they know about the Bible, more they know the Scriptures the messier the mess is. Why is that? Why is that? I think it's connected to the next verse. I think it's connected to verse 39. Uh, we're going to get there, but if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you have made, you have made God the Father a liar. That's what um, 1 John 5.10 says. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony. Where? In himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So... That's how God bears witness about the Son. Verse 37, He Himself borne witness about me. Now, what is this witness that God has? I think I just read it in, that, that God bears about His Son. I think I just read it in 1 John 5.10. It is not the Scriptures. Because he will go on to talk about scriptures. That's his next witness. It's his fourth witness. So how does God the Father bear witness about his Son? He bears witness. It's the internal witness. These guys, they don't have it. They wouldn't know what that witness is like. Because they don't have the Spirit of God. They don't have God the Father in them. Bearing witness with their spirit that Christ is the Son of God. That's Romans 8.16. Whoever believes has the spirit witnessing with their spirit that they are the children of God. This is an internal testimony, an internal witness of God the Father through His Spirit in all that believe in Jesus Christ. They testify with your spirit that Christ is the truth, that Christ is the Son of God. But they wouldn't know it. Connection. They wouldn't know it because, verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. How is it that the, the Word of God bears witness about Jesus? If you're like me, you're probably thinking predictive prophecy. You know, there's so many...
prophecies that said what Jesus was going to do and where He was going to be born and what He is and His work and His person. That is, that is part of it. But it's much more than that. That's just one aspect of His testimony, of His witness. God the Father best bears witness about His Son in all of the Scripture. All of the details of the dietary law, all of the details of the sacrificial system, every priest, every prophet, every king, every event in the nation of Israel, every prophecy. In fact, there's not one word in the whole Bible that is not about the Son of God. Every type and shadow. Everything is about the Son of God. Jesus is the hero of every page in this book right here. Not only the prophecies, but even every genealogy is about the Son of God. That's the testimony of the Scriptures. That's the witness of the Scriptures concerning the Son of God. You know, Jesus says that they search the, the, the Scriptures because they think in them they have eternal life, but they refuse to come to, to Jesus for life. You know, this is the testimony of the Scriptures. When I first became a believer, I, I learned the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scriptures, right? There's, we don't need everything that we need for salvation and for knowing God is contained in here. We don't need any extra revelations. Scripture is sufficient. Right? And I marveled at that. The way I think, the way I'm built. You know, I understood some things and it was told to me. I was told, you know, some arguments and they made sense to me. And I went about carrying the Great Commission. I want to tell everybody about all these evidences. Because I can argue people into the kingdom. Because the Scripture is sufficient, right? That didn't go well. That didn't go well. I pushed people out of my life. I, I got into a lot of conflict that was unnecessary. Because you cannot argue people into the kingdom. That is not what the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scriptures is, is meant to achieve. You don't argue people into the kingdom. The counterpart of it, or, or something I didn't know, it was the inability or unwillingness of people to come to God. The effects of sin. How sin has made us so blind. And the problem here, you'll see that it is not inability. I want you to see that what Jesus is um, saying here, it's not that they are unable to come to Him, but they what? They refuse to come to Him. They do not want to come to Christ. Their unwillingness. Sinners pursue hell willingly. Sinners pursue destruction willingly. Sinners are not forced to refuse Christ. No one is going to miss heaven because they wanted so much, but they couldn't because they're sinners. No one will have that excuse. We as sinners, we apart from Christ, are running as fast as we can away from Him. There isn't a, oh, I consider it, I, I want to come, but I can't. No, 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 no. They are 
unwilling to come to Him. They just say no. They refuse to come. And that is exactly what Jesus says. He didn't say you can't come. I want to help you out. No. You don't want to come. You don't like it. Now these guys are probably saying. This man is out of his mind. He wants all the glory for himself. Does he think he's God? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus remembers that he knows the heart of man. He knows. He doesn't entrust chapter 2. Uh, of John, he doesn't entrust himself because he knows what is in man. You know, uh, people so-called they are believers. You know, they they, they uh, uh, quote unquote believed in him and acclaimed him in chapter two. And he's Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man. So he's not interested in, in the whole glory from man. Jesus doesn't need it. He's not looking for it. So Jesus goes right ahead and he says, "I don't receive any glory from man." You know what is it? Forty-one. Uh, I do not receive glory from people. He's not looking for it. Okay? There is no, none of that. Jesus is not interested in, you know, oh, the big man upstairs, you know, he helped me with all my nightclubs. He doesn't want any, any, any props from sinners. You know, this game that I believe... You know, I believe in Jesus, and you know, he's a cool guy. I, mean, I don't think, yeah, I think he was a good teacher or whatever, and just say good things about him and deny his deity. He's not interested in that at all. He doesn't want that type of glory. He doesn't want that kind of lip service. There are, an, there is an untold number of people who will give glory to Jesus, lip service, and on that day, on the final day, they will come to him and they will hear some frightening words. Depart from me, you evildoers. For I never knew you. Never means never. It wasn't that they at some point were in the Spirit, they were saved, and then something happened and they, they fell off the boat. No. I never knew you. Depart from me. And you cast them into hell. So he's not interested. If you're not ready to live with all your might for his glory, if you're not willing to give everything you have to him, your whole being, trust in him, he's not interested. Why? Because it's loveless. He's not interested in just words. They're just words. He's interested in a loving relationship, which brings me to the point that he doesn't take glory from men, from people. Does, does he not want any glory? No! He wants glory from those who love him. He's interested in the heart. He's interested in the whole being. He wants a loving relationship where he gets glory. And you get the greatest joy of life, which is worship him. Experience him. Love him. Experiencing him. That's the praise in what Jesus is, in which Jesus is interested. True worship in His Spirit and in truth to His own words. He is not interested in loveless, just loveless so-called worship. He does not receive any glory from men in that sense. There is absolutely no life outside of Jesus Christ. And that is 
being very clear here. That is very clear here. As they accuse Him of blaspheme, what Jesus is saying is being made very, very clear. Now, there's no alternative left. He is either crazy or He is who He is. Jesus does not give you the the option of saying He was mistaken. He just doesn't. He just does not want any false praise, any loveless praise. He's interested in the whole being in a loving relationship. Now let's go, let's move on to the suicidal love affair with the praise of man that these people have. I have come in my Father's name. Verse 43. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. Isn't that sad? That if another man, uh, another comes in his own name, you will receive him. There have been dozens of so-called messiahs that have been accepted by numbers of people in the Jewish nation. But they reject. Even in that own time, in the same time where Jesus was around, a little after, a little before, Messiahs and Messiahs were coming. And they were being received by numbers in the Jewish nation. That's sad. Verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Did you, did you hear the question that Jesus is asking? He's asking a question of ability. How can you believe? Why do you ask that, Jesus? Because all you seek is the glory of man. You want to get praise from man. Jesus is saying, I want you to hear this. Jesus is saying that if all you care about is being praised by your fellow man, you will end up in hell. There's condemnation in seeking the glory of men. You lose the internal fight of faith against the love that you have. All of us are in danger of this one. The love that you have for the praise of men, you lose that battle. There is eternal condemnation. Praise be to Jesus that He and He alone can rescue us from this. What He says is that they won't believe because all they care is the glory of men. They seek glory from one another. They're flattering each other and complimenting each other and glorifying one another. And that is impossible to live with the praise of God because faith, or belief, faith at its core is I give all the glory to God. I give up all the glory. I come empty handed. I empty myself. And all I have is yours, Lord. The glory is all yours. And the frightening thing is that God has said, I am God. My glory I will not share. Isaiah 29:13. Don't be glory robbers. There's much more joy in faith, in giving up everything you have. Come empty-handed to Him, seeking Him to give you the rest that He promises. And He will never cast you away. 
We're almost done. 45. But I can't take this one. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. These guys, Moses, Moses were his, Moses was his, their guy. They baked everything on Moses. On whom you set, you have set your hope. Jesus has just said. I mean, the name Moses is often unused uh, uh, interchangeably with uh, the law. Many times it's just a, another way to say the law, the five books that he wrote. Um, but we do know historically that some people actually believe that Moses would actually intercede for them on that day. Just like Moses had interceded, prayed for uh, uh, the nation of Israel. Many have set their hopes on, on Moses, the prophet of the law, the symbol of the law. He was their guy. They knew all of his books and Moses wore, was an idol. And Jesus has just said, if you think Moses is going to help, I mean, one thing, if you think I'm here having this debate with you, if you think I'm going to be the one accusing you, no, 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 no. It's going to be Moses, the one whom you love. You think he's going to get your back on that day? No. He is the one accusing you because you have distorted his message. You have distorted his books. You have distorted even his person. He accuses you. Moses accuses you. I can't take this one because this was all their hope and Jesus has just crushed it. If this is true, Jesus has just right now crushed every hope these people had. What they did was they made up a message. They didn't like the message of Moses just like they didn't like the message of John the Baptist. They made up a message. They, they, they tailored it to themselves, slapped the name of Moses on it, and they went about their, their business. But God knows what they're doing. Jesus knows their hearts. And He calls them on, on hypocrisy. He just calls them on it. You say you love Moses. You don't love Moses. You, you just don't. Jesus has just crushed all of their hopes. 46. If it's true. 46. You're saying you believe Moses? Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you believed him, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. So now, if you don't, you know, you're not going to believe me. If you don't want to believe me, believe Moses, whom you say you love. You don't even like me. Of course you're not going to believe me. Believe Moses, right? But you don't believe him. Let's not play this game. Because you don't believe Moses. If you believed Him, you would believe me. Because He wrote of me. All that Moses wrote was about Jesus. Like we said, the whole of Scriptures is about the Son of God. 47. A tragic, tragic ending to this conflict. Moses wrote of me. But if you do not believe His writings, how will you believe my words. So he ends this calling them out on calling them on their hypocrisy. You say you believe Moses. You don't lying. 
This is a lie. You don't believe Moses. He wrote of me and you don't believe me. You don't believe in me. Now, if you don't believe him, whom you say you like, you, you're hostile to me openly. I know you're not going to believe in me. How can you believe me? How will you believe me if you don't even believe him? What has just happened over here is that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They accused Jesus of... This is a good tune. They accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, of blaspheming. Jesus comes back with, No, you are blaspheming. I am God and you are rejecting me. And they went their separate ways. The same choice is given to us today. Jesus says, I am God. If it's true, live for Him. Give Him everything you got. Live for Him with all your might. If it's not true, we can just get out of here. This is all, this is all a mockery. And we are all wasting our lives. All wasting our time. But if it's true, give Him all you got and worship Him. Live for Him with everything you have, with all your might. Love Him. To the end of your life. If you have any doubts today. I want to ask you to believe. Believe the testimony of John. Believe the testimony of the Lord's works. Believe the testimony of the Father. Believe the testimony of the scriptures. That in Jesus you will find rest. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, you are beautiful. And I thank you for this portion of Scripture where you testify, Father, of the deity of your Son. In Him we trust because He is God and He has risen from the dead for us. Oh Father, accept our worship today and let it not be loveless. Let us search the Scriptures. And in them actually find life. Let us have fellowship with your Son. Through your Spirit and the testimony of your Spirit in us. Accept our worship as we sing. Reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.